Yeah, right on. We're getting towards the end of this series, so we wanted that whole bumper again. We abbreviated it for a while, but that's a fun song. Uh, so excited for the Wheatley family, excited for them. And, uh, you know, Josh, he basically took, he was already a career guy, mid-career, right? Had a family. You counted those kids. I know that you did. Uh, and, and decided mid-career, mid-family that God was calling him to something different. Packed it all up, started taking classes online, started traveling to Western Seminary, started picking up whatever responsibilities and opportunities that he could here at Trinity to learn. And uh, that's, that's, that's just a great attitude. And uh, what, a, what a great example to all of us. Well, I, never, I know uh, this summer you never know who's going to be standing up here after the end of that bumper, so it's me. And uh, we're going to talk about interruptions. Have you ever had something awesome going on that then was interrupted? You know, you, you uh, finally settled down for a great night's sleep. You're going to sleep through the whole night, and in the middle of the night, your baby starts crying. Or you settle down with a good book, finally, you know, after a busy week, you settle down with a good book, and the phone rings. Or you're in the middle of a meaningful conversation with someone, uh, over your cell phone, and all of a sudden the signal gets dropped. Or you're uh, on vacation, and you get a call from home, it's your boss, you know, or it's or a family member, or someone Someone needs you back home, and you're on this awesome vacation, and it gets interrupted. I mean, interruptions usually are super annoying. Almost always. But sometimes an interruption can be awesome. I remember when this happened to me. It was in the fall of 2001, and I had just finished painting my house. I had spent the whole summer painting my house. I had uh, uh, brought it down to bare wood, cedar shingles, bare wood. Then I sanded it. Then I primed it. Then I painted it. What you would do to a piece of furniture, I did to my house. I started the day after Easter, and I finished the first weekend in October. So it was the middle of October. I was finished with the house, had it all painted. It was my first Saturday that I didn't have to paint the house. And uh, football was on, and I uh, turned on a football game, and I laid on the couch, and I took a nap during a football game, which is better than an ordinary nap. (laughs) And, uh, And in the middle of that, somewhere in the middle... Lisa wakes me up, and she says, hey, uh, you need to get up and go with me. And I'm like, wait a minute, what, what, uh, and she said, I just need you to come with me, don't ask me any questions. And so I got in the car, the kids are all in the car, they're all packed and ready to go, you know, I mean, they're all strapped in their seats, and I don't remember how she got me to do it, or what she said to me to get me to do it, but it was basically just come and don't ask any questions, and I didn't, but I was thinking in my mind, you know, man, this better be really good. And it was good. It was a surprise birthday party for me, you know, with people there to celebrate me. And uh, that, was a, that was one of those interruptions that, instead of being annoying, actually was awesome. So we all have things we don't want interrupted. We all have plans for our lives, things we're looking forward to that we don't want anything to get in the way of. 
You know, if you're young, you're looking forward to being in high school or college, and you just that, you're you, you're looking forward to that. If you're in college, you can't wait to be done with school and started in your career, and you want to get married and buy a house and have a family. Or your kids are are at home, and you're what you're looking forward to is the you know the day that they graduate from high school or they get married, you know, and then they give you grandkids and you're, you don't want anything to interrupt that. You're looking forward to that. You got that all planned out. Or, you know, those of you who are uh, grandparents or you're, you're retired, you know, now you look forward to that time in your life when everybody thinks you're going to have all kinds of time to do all the things that you want to do. And, and uh, we're excited about what's ahead, all the things we want to do before we die. And we have a name for that. We call it a bucket list. A bucket list. It's just a list of all the things we want to do before we kick the bucket. So, we want to, we want to hang glide in Argentina. We want to visit the French Riviera. We want to drink espresso in Italy. If I was organized enough to have a bucket list, that would, that's the one that would be on my bucket list. Drink espresso in Italy. You want to drive a race car. At full speed. You want to take your grandkids to Disneyland. You want to write a book. You want to visit all 50 states. Uh, You want to be an extra in a movie. That's your bucket list. All these things that you want to do before you die. So here's a question for you. What would you be willing to trade that list for? What would you be willing to let interrupt your list and, and and if I gave you a million dollars, would you just forget your bucket list and say, I'll take a million dollars and forget everything on my bucket list. Give me a million dollars. I'll come up with a new list. Would you do that? Uh, would you trade your everything on your bucket list for a ride in space with Elon Musk, who's going to be sending ordinary citizens into space, you know, before too long? Would you, would you trade everything on your list for that? Uh, what about this? What about not just a visit to the French Riviera, but your own chateau on the French Riviera? Would you be willing to trade your bucket list, everything else on your list, for a chateau on the French Riviera? What what about something, instead of something nice for you, would you be willing to trade everything on your list for something nice for the world? What if you could, by, by giving up your bucket list, what if you could... Uh, eradicate sex trafficking around the world. Would you be willing to do that? What, what, would you be willing to uh, trade your bucket list for the adoption of every orphan in the world and every foster kid who needs a home? Would you be willing to trade what's on your list for that? Give up your list. Would you be willing to give up your list to ensure the honesty of all politicians in every government everywhere? <laughs> Is that mean enough to you? To say, forget my list, I'll take that. What could interrupt your list? I don't, you don't have to decide right now. But I know that you're thinking, whatever it is, it'd have to be good. Well, in today's installment of Can You Dig It? That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about a bucket list interrupter that you need to know about. That you need to know about and that's potentially better than anything on your list. And the theological category. So can you dig it? It's been a doctrinal survey. We've taken important truths, groovy truths about God and you. We've taken individual separate truths that matter uh, 
uh, as Jesus followers, and we've talked about them. Well, the one that I have this morning is the theological category called eschatology. And eschatology is the uh, study of what the Bible says about the future. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And our text today is going to be the very last words of the whole Bible. So take your Bibles and open them to the book of Revelation and open that book to chapter 22. Now a lot of the books in the Bible could go in any order. Paul's letters, they're not arranged in any theological order or chronological order. They're mostly, Paul's letters are mostly arranged by length from the longest to the shortest. I mean, that's how those books of the Bible are arranged. Not all the books of the Bible are in strategic places, but two books in the Bible have to go where they are, Genesis and Revelation. The beginning and the end, they, they belong at that place in the canon of the Bible. And so when we get to Revelation 22, Rev, the book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible. It's the last word. And chapter 22 is the last chapter of the last book. And we're going to be reading the last words of the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. And you can really get that sense if you have a regular old Bible with pages. If you have a digital Bible, you can't tell that you're at the end and how much has proceeded. But if you have a, a, a Bible like this, then, then you, you can tell, I'm at the end of this big book. And here's what it says. And these last words in the Bible tell us the most important thing that you and I need to know about the future. Now, there are a lot of things that people like to know about. They like to study and debate and wonder and disagree on when it comes to eschatology, the future. Uh, there are a lot, of different asp- a lot of different positions. We're going to talk about a couple of those this morning. But I only have one crack at this this morning. And so... What I want to share with you is the one thing you need to know above everything else about the future. Because there's one thing that stands above everything else. It's the big idea of our text. And sometimes it's hard to find the big idea of a Bible passage. You really have to think hard and do some uh, real soaking in a passage. But this one, it just jumps out at you because it's repeated three times. So I want you to see if you can find it. It's repeated three times. I also want you to notice if you have a red letter edition of the Bible where Jesus' words are in red, some of these words are in red. And uh, you'll see those as we read. So we're going to read beginning in uh, chapter 22. Verse 7, all the way through the end of the chapter. Now these letters are in red. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. John was one of Jesus' disciples, his his closest follower. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. That's what the whole book of Revelation is about. The angel showing John what the future holds. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and prophets and all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. Let him who is holy continue to be holy. Red letters again. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and Omega 
the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go into the gates of, through the gates of the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone uh, takes away the words of the, from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. That's a pretty remarkable uh, piece of Scripture. The last verses of the last chapter of the last book of our Bibles, and I'll bet... uh, I'll bet a number of you saw the big idea repeated three times, four words long, repeated three times. I am coming soon. I am coming soon. The first is verse 7, verse 12, verse 20. The first two times, verse 7 and verse 12, it's behold, I am coming soon. Behold, pay attention, look, wow, hey, I am coming soon, repeated two. And then the third time, verse 20, it's not the word behold, it's the word yes. It's like seriously, I'm not kidding. So we have this, hey, 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 I am coming soon. And seriously, I'm not kidding, I am coming soon. The big idea of this passage is that Jesus is coming soon. And if you want to know the most important thing that the Bible teaches about Jesus and the future, it is that Jesus is coming soon. Now you may wonder about the rapture or the identity of the Antichrist or whether UPC codes are the mark of the beast or if there will be dogs in heaven. But what you really need to know about the future is Jesus is coming soon. Because the Bible teaches this one thing clearly. Christians of all sizes and stripes understand this to be true. Christians of all flavors and denominations believe this. We all together believe in the sudden, visible, bodily, personal return of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming soon. Now there are differences between Christians in when this is going to happen, exactly how it's going to happen, but Christians everywhere, Jesus followers everywhere share this in common. We all believe that Jesus is coming soon. In this passage there are several things we need to know about Jesus' coming. The first of those is that it is going to happen. First of all, we we see it repeated three different times. 
three times, Jesus says, I am coming soon. It is going to happen. It's not a small idea in the Bible. It's a big idea in the Bible. The Old Testament and the New Testament both saturated with the coming of, of this uh, anointed one. The Old Testament, it's uh, God's promise to his people that he's going to send someone who's going to make things right with the world. He's going to rule the world and run the world according to righteousness and love and justice. And that's the promise of the Old Testament. And when you get to the New Testament, you find out who that person is going to be. It's going to be Jesus. And Jesus and his followers, Paul, uh, uh, Peter, James, all these guys, they all write extensively about the coming of Jesus. Jesus came once like a lamb. That's when he came and uh, meekly allowed himself to be put to death and hung on a cross. He is going to come again, and he's going to come like a lion. And he is going to bring righteousness. He's going to make things right in the world. The Bible tells us throughout that it's going to happen. But it's not just the Bible that tells us. If you want to make distinctions, it's not just, it's not just the Bible says so. That's not the answer. You know who says so? Jesus says so. That's what we have in this passage. I want you to notice who's talking. Each of those three times, behold, I'm coming soon, those are the words of Jesus. But not only the words of Jesus, I want you to notice who Jesus is in this passage. In this passage, Jesus is given five different titles. He's called the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end, the first and the last. Then he's called the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. These five titles. Now, if you think about what those titles mean, what they say about who Jesus is. First of all, that first cluster, they kind of are three different titles that say the same thing. Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, first and the last. You know that Alpha and Omega, those are the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. It's like saying the A to Z. So it's like Jesus is the A to Z, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Those three are all clustered together in, what, verse 13? Verse 13. And uh, here's, here's, the, here's what the, all this means. The, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, he, he's the guy who starts things and finishes things. All right? The guy who starts and finishes is the one who says he's coming soon. The one who, who puts things into motion, oversees them while they're in motion, and then brings them to a conclusion that he chooses, that's who says he's coming soon. Not just anybody the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the one who does what he starts, finishes what he starts. That's who says this. He is coming soon. Not only is he the A to Z, he's also the root and the offspring of David. That's in verse 16. The root and offspring of David. This takes us back to the Old Testament and the promise that God says, listen, I'm going to send someone. He's going to make things right in this messed up world. And I'll tell you how you're going to, one of the ways you're going to know him. He's going to be a descendant of King David, King of Israel. And we know that that's something that's taught throughout the Old Testament so that by the time we get to Jesus, we read his genealogy in the Gospels and we see that Jesus traces his lineage back to King David. And here we read in the very last words of the Bible, the, the root and the offspring of David says he's coming soon. He's coming soon. 
Then he's given one more title. I love this title, The Bright Morning Star. The Bright Morning Star. That's who says he's coming soon. The one who, uh, the one, the, the star that shows up just before dawn and signals a new day. The star that signals the end of night and the beginning of light. That's who Jesus is. And he's coming soon. That bright morning star is right there on the horizon. And this new day will begin any moment because Jesus is coming soon. He finishes what he starts. It's going to happen. It's the first thing you need to know. It is going to happen. Second thing you need to know is what he's going, look what he's going to do in verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Jesus is coming, and when he comes, he'll bring his reward with him. And his reward is two-sided, reward and punishment. Reward and punishment. And this is another big idea from Jesus' own teachings. That he's going to, when he comes, he's going to bring reward and punishment according to, our passage says, according to, uh, to everyone according to what he has done. So, this is not a one-off idea. It's not buried somewhere in the Bible. It is another major theme of Scripture. And a major theme of Jesus' own teaching. Read them in the Gospels, especially Matthew and Luke. And you see that Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, he's going to bring reward and he's going to bring punishment. And our passage tells us that this reward and punishment is going to be uh, based on what you and I and every other person has done with Jesus. Verse 14 goes into a little more detail. So he's going he's to reward everyone according to what they've done. And let's look at verse 14. Blessed are those who, are, who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, sexually immoral, murderous, idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. This verse divides people into two categories, dogs and those who've washed their robes. Now, those who've washed their robes, they're going to have access to this new, new world that Jesus ushers in. Those who've washed their robes are going to have access uh, to the tree of life. And they'll be able to go in and out of the gates of this heavenly city that Jesus is going to establish. God's going to build on a brand new earth. All right, And those who've washed their robes get to go in and out. So what does it mean? Wash their robes. Well, it's a reference back to chapter 7, verse 14 where those who have washed their robes, they're identified as people. Uh, they're, they're people who've washed their robes. This is chapter 7, verse 14. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are people who have identified themselves with Jesus in his death on their behalf. And they have been cleansed because of the blood of the Lamb, capital L, major figure in the book of Revelation, Jesus the Lamb, those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb have white robes. And so when Jesus comes, they're going to be people, he's going to bring reward and punishment, and he's going to bring reward to those who have white robes, to those who've bowed themselves to the Lamb as the forgiver of their sins, the leader of their life. 
they've washed, when, when someone turns to Jesus, they're, they're, it is as if they're given a, a white robe washed in the blood that comes from Jesus' death. And when Jesus returns, he has a reward of blessing and eternal life for those who have washed their robes in his blood. But there's another group of people, and they're called the dogs. That's verse 15. Outside are the dogs. The word dog is meant to represent the rejectors, the rebels, those who have rebelled against God and his claims on their life. It seems like in our culture, it would have been more accurate to call them cats. You know, cats are the ones who don't want anybody telling them what to do. You know, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't have a master. I do, you know, so however you want to think about it, the word picture is of the rejecter. The rejectors who, who don't accept who Jesus is. They haven't washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. And they show it by their lives. Sexual immorality, magic arts, murder, idolatry, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. These are people who've lived lives of rebellion against God. And they give ultimate allegiance to someone other than Jesus. And when Jesus comes, he's going to give them what they want. He's going to give them what they choose. He's going to exclude them from an eternity with God. They don't want anything to do with God. That's exactly what they're going to get. An eternity condemned without him. It's going to happen. Jesus is coming soon. When it happens, Jesus will bring his reward with him. And he will deal appropriately with every person. He will deal appropriately with every nation. He will deal appropriately with every world system. He will deal appropriately with every way that the world has fallen short. He will renew the planet. He will renew the planet, create a new heaven and a new earth. Let me read a scripture to you real fast. This is Revelation chapter 21. It says this. Then I saw a new heaven. And a new earth. This is John talking. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. You read the Old Testament, you know that that's the longing that God has to be uh, the God that. Uh, who is accepted by a people where he is their God and they are his people. And it finally, finally someday is going to come to fruition. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. You know who that is, don't you? And then he said, write this down. Because I'm not kidding. These words are trustworthy and true. Well, when's it going to happen? Okay, Jesus is coming. He's going to bring his reward with him. When? When is that going to happen? Well, that's where you start finding differences among Jesus' followers. And, and uh, one reason is because the Bible just isn't as clear 
on this subject. The Bible uses a lot of figurative speech on this subject. It's just not as clear. I want to just kind of broad stroke three basic positions for you. First, and, and they, they all, the way Christians differ on this subject has to do with something called the millennium. And the millennium is taught in chapter 20, uh, Revelation chapter 20. You can read about this period of a thousand years. And then you have these descriptions in the Old Testament of times when the lion's going to lay down with the lamb and, and, uh, Christians uh, try to understand exactly how all these things fit together. When is this thousand years, and when is the lion laid down with the lamb? And you have those who are called amillennialists, and where ah means no negative. It's a, 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 a negative, no millennium. And they really don't believe in a technical 1,000 years. They're amillennialists, and they just believe that it's going to be a long period of time and that the church is going to continue to grow and that, and that and we don't know how long it is. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is going to come. So amillennialist, no real millennium, and uh, just kind of this church age. And then there are those who are post-millennium. They believe that Jesus is going to come after a period where the church, the church is going to grow in its influence around the world, and more and more people are going to follow Jesus. The world's going to get better and better until we kind of achieve this level of millennial promise, lying, laying down with the Lamb, and then at the end of that, Jesus comes. But... Uh, just reality kind of tells you that's not working so great, you know, that the world is not getting better and better, and we're not. So uh, the position that I hold, the position of this church, is that that uh, Jesus will come before this period of thousand years, premillennialists, all right? Premillennialists. Jesus will come before, and he'll, he'll, when Jesus comes, he'll usher in a period of a thousand years where the world is going to be run by Jesus. And then one final kapow, you know, for Satan, and then Jesus will bring in eternity. Now, that's a pretty simplified view, but that's, what, uh, that's how different Christians kind of see the future. And then there, I don't want to forget the pan-millennialists. Pan-millennialists are those who have no idea what's really going to happen, but they're pretty sure it's all going to pan out in the end. So... Maybe you're a pan-millennialist. I don't know. You start exploring the subject. It takes a lot of biblical literacy, a lot of biblical literacy to sort through all the Bible's teachings on, on the subject. And you have Christian friends who probably hold each of these positions. That's okay. Uh, that's okay. I think the pre-millennial view is the one that takes the Bible uh, best at face value for what it says. And, and even as remarkable as it might seem, uh, says, well, that's what it says here, and I'm going to go. You know, I think the premillennial view of uh, Jesus' return, he's going to come first and then a thousand years and then eternity. I think that's the, the best way of dealing with the biblical data. But the most important thing is that Jesus is coming soon, and he will bring his reward with him. Well, well, Brad, you keep saying that Jesus is coming soon. But it's been 2,000 years already. I mean, come on. Uh, that doesn't seem very soon. Well, that depends. It depends on your perspective. Now, Peter actually wrestled with this because Jesus' followers in the first century, in the first decades after Jesus' ascension in heaven, expected him to come back any time. And he didn't, and he didn't, and he didn't. And Peter addressed this question in Second Peter, and he says this. Uh, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends, that with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. It's not slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
He's being patient. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, sudden. And uh, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Basically what Peter says, any delay in Jesus' coming is strictly due to the grace and compassion of God who wants as many as possible to come to salvation. He would rather bless than punish. And so he's being patient and giving his people time to respond. But it still says Jesus is coming soon. Okay, think of it like this. Those of you who are parents of young kids, here's something you need to know. Your child is graduating from high school soon. You're like, oh, no, no, he ain't. Because he's like six years old, kindergarten, six months old. No, it's not. Oh, yeah, it's soon. Now, it, it may feel like a long time. And there may be long days in between now and then, but I guarantee you, look around, an older parent, if you don't believe me, it's going to happen so fast that you're going to say, Wow, I can't believe it. I can't believe you're already out of high school. It's going to happen so fast. You're going to say, that was like nothing. And it's going to be over. And it's in that sense that Jesus is coming soon. Because Jesus could come at any moment. Any moment. And when he does, it will all be over. And you'll say, whoa, no more time? Wow, is that it? All that time is going to feel like so much time. That feels like so much time now is going to feel like no time when it's all over. When there's no more time to repent. When there's no more time to respond. It's going to feel, wow, that was fast. Because here's the deal. What, whatever you've done with Jesus will stand forever. Whatever you've done with Jesus before he comes will stand forever after he comes. God is patiently calling people to respond to the good news of salvation. But at a certain point, it's going to be over. Jesus is coming. He's coming soon. He's going to bring his reward with him. And that has some implications for how we live. I want to touch on those briefly. First implication is for Jesus' followers. If you are a follower of Jesus, there's a certain attitude you ought to have about Jesus' return. And that attitude ought to be one of anticipation. Anticipation. I want you to see that attitude in verse 20. Verse 20 says this, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Look at the response. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I want you to see that same attitude of anticipation in verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. The spirit who's at work in the world withholding evil and promoting good says, come, let's do this. And the, and the one, the bride, that's the church, the bride says, you're my groom, let's do this. Come and let him who hears, that's the person listening in the church when the book of Revelation is being read, let the, let the ordinary Jesus follower say, Come, this attitude of anticipation. Come on, let's get it over with. We can't wait. We want to do this. If you're a Jesus follower, you should find Jesus' return 
uh, the most exciting, hopeful, positive thing you could ever experience in your lifetime. Titus actually calls Jesus' return our blessed hope. Our blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And throughout the ages, Jesus' followers have sat on the edge of their seats looking for the day that Jesus would come back and rescue us from the brokenness and hardship of this life and and make everything right with the world. Historically, this has been our blessed hope until 20th century America, 21st century America. And all of a sudden, hey, I got a bucket list. I got a bucket list. I have things I want to do. I have things I want to do. I have things I'm looking forward to. So much so that if Jesus came today, we'd be like, oh, today? Really? Because today is the first Seahawks game of the season. Really? Today? Want to know the truth? The hard truth? That's a measure of our spiritual condition, that we value other things more than the return of Jesus. Here's what one Jesus follower says. To some extent, the degree to which we actually long for Christ's return is a measure of the spiritual condition of our lives at the moment. I remember, uh, I have had times like this, especially as a young person, I remember specifically times laying on my bed when I was like a teenager, thinking, man, and this is the late 70s, you know, all this eschatology stuff, and thinking, oh, man, I hope Jesus doesn't come back before I'd have a chance to get married and, and become a pastor. So you probably have a better bucket list than that, okay? But that's what I wanted. It was a measure of my spiritual goodness. I valued certain things more than I valued Jesus. I'll tell you what will fix that. Growing older can fix that. <laughs> Running into the buzzsaw that is called life can fix that for you. Seeing the suffering that will continue to take place around the world until Jesus comes, that can fix that. Last night, I just did a snapshot of the headlines in the newspaper. Not, uh, actually, uh, Google News. If you use Google News, I just took Google News. Google News, what's the news today? Police identify subjects, a suspect in Virginia car ramming. Virginia governor to white nationalists Go home, shame on you. Helicopter crash near Charlottesville, white nationalist rally, kills two cops. Who is King Jong-un and what will he decide to do? A Trump nuclear strike against North Korea, constitutional or not? Uproar over Amarosa at black journalist convention. It's a massacre. At least 30 children die in Indian hospital after oxygen is cut off. North Korea is a cult to Kim Jong-un, undercover reporter says. Mueller is said to seek interviews with West Wing in Russia case. Does that not make you want to say, come Let's do this. Let's fix this. When we value Jesus and the glory that he'll receive when he comes and makes things right with the world, then we can not only know that Jesus is coming, he'll interrupt our lives, but we can welcome it. Because no matter how great your bucket list is, if Jesus comes back today, 
it's going to be better. It's going to be better. Yeah, he's going to interrupt a lot of life plans. You have certain things in your life you may not get to see, but you know what? It's going to be for the better. You and I need to cultivate an attitude of anticipation. That's for the Jesus follower, but there are some people who are cats or dogs or whatever, you know, and right now you're like, I do not want to owe Jesus anything. I don't want to believe this. I don't want to believe you. I don't, I don't want to do that. And you need to know this, that uh, everyone who's rejected Jesus will spend a conscious eternity without him. So your first response is to make sure you're on the right side of Jesus when he comes. And there's a beautiful invitation, almost the very last words of the Bible in verse uh, verse. Uh, 20, I'm sorry, uh, verse 17, an invitation. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. A repaired relationship with Jesus, being on the right side of history, is yours by just turning to Jesus, accepting him as the one that God sent. And that's my encouragement to you this morning. If you're not a Jesus follower, if you're not exactly sure what it means to have your sins forgiven and be adopted into God's family, that's what we do here. We help people make that decision. If you don't know how to do that, today's the day to get that sorted out. You could talk to me, write it on your blue card. We'll follow up with you, Pastor Chris, someone else you know at Trinity. We want to help you make that decision because Jesus is coming soon. He'll bring his reward with him, and we need to be ready. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder. And our prayer is this. Jesus, come. 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 Help us to value your coming. Help us to be ready for your coming. Spirit, speak to us about the state of our lives. If Jesus were to come today, what would that mean for each of us? Speak to us, speak truth to us, and help us to be responsive and to move into a place where we are in alignment with you and with your Son. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.